0: With that, uh, let's, uh, you can keep your eyes open this time when we look at our Bibles. You can turn to Luke 24, Luke 24. But let's, let's pray as, you are, as you're turning there. So Father, we thank you, we bless you. Uh, we ask you today that your word would come alive in our heart. We ask you that your word would run swiftly and be glorified. Father, we ask you that you would come and touch us today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to perceive and understand. Father, it says that your word is alive. Come and burn your word in our hearts. Draw near to us today, Jesus. You said man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so, Lord, we pray, give us this bread today. Give us this bread today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. What I want to give you today and is a reflection of really the what I've been reflecting on more than anything probably in the last two years or so since we've first visited Iraq and, um, and then since moved there. And um, I remember the first time that we, we went to the camps on our DTS outreach, and we spent every day in these Yazidi refugee camps. And you just have to imagine with me, it's the Iraqi desert, so it's just brown everywhere. And then this strangely and meticulously organized block of tents of just row after row after row after row after section after section after section of beige canvas tents that are four or five meters by four or five meters. Sorry, my brain has started to convert to the metric system. You guys will love that, right? It makes way more sense. It just does. I've converted on it. But it's just row after row after row after row after row after row of hurt, trauma, weeping, wailing, suffering, nightmares, dreams, hopelessness, poverty, but it's the, the way that it's, you walk into just such chaos. And yet it's so meticulously organized. And it's very unsettling. And I grew up in a context, a church context that believed in healing and signs and wonders and miracles. And so we go on our DTS outreach and we're like, Lord, you're going to, you know, you're going to show up. You're going to do what you do. And if there is ever a place that you will do what you do, it will be a place like this where people need to hear you and encounter you and feel you and get healed and all this kind of stuff. And so we spent 10 weeks, three or four days a week, all day with our little kids. We had just had our third at that point. She was, we went to, uh, to, uh, on our outreach when she was three weeks old. So we literally have like a newborn. We're walking around refu- this refugee camp. And in those 10 weeks, we saw nothing. Nothing. Not a miracle, not a healing, Not a prophetic word, not a salvation. We saw nothing. And my soul was about as troubled and quiet as this room is right now. (laughs) Because you think, yeah, the guy's shaking his head over here. Yes, absolutely. You just want to shake, you just were like, what? Lord. Lord. If there is a place to show up, it is here and it is now. To these people. And there was this, I remember having one thought one day walking around. and Just thinking, Lord, I don't even care that you would show up back home. Why won't you show up here? What is it, good is it, you know, just angry. What good is it to show up back home if you don't show up here? What good is it to show up in our DTS, in our worship nights, if you won't, if you won't come here? I was, I was just troubled, as you can tell. I just remember, what, what do I do with this? And out of that experience, in the days and weeks and months to come, this question arose. And it's the one I want to reflect on with you this morning. And it's the question, God, where are you? Where are you? We've all asked that question at some point in our life. If you haven't yet, congratulations, tomorrow will come. (laughs) Right? Who's asked that question? Who's found that question raised up in their heart? God, where are you? Where are you, God? Job lamented. I was sad when I looked, to you to, for, I looked for you to the left and to the right in front of me and behind and I could not find you. The psalmist, have you forgotten me forever, God? Won't you draw near? Over and over and over, the scriptures have this lament in them and we find often that same lament, that same question, rise up in our hearts. And this was really the first time that it rose up in mind. And so there's, if you picture, we have those few moments in our life, we'll only probably have a few, that are like mountains, and the peak stretches into the heavens, into the clouds, and it's like someone, you're standing at the foot of this mountain, and someone says, hey, you have to climb to the other side, and you go, I don't know how I'm going to do this. We all have those three, four, five moments in our life where you just look at today and you say, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. You have a family situation. You go, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. A marriage situation. You go, I don't, don't know how we're going to make it over that mountain. Because I'm standing and looking at it. And someone's telling me I have to get to the other side. And I, I think I will probably die trying to get to the other side. Those are f- probably few and far between for most of us. We have a couple of things that are truly that kind of journey. And when we face those things... We will have this question arise in our heart as we stand at that mountain, as we get to the false summit that we think we finally made it over and we find out, no, we have to keep climbing and despair sets in all over again in the marriage, in your finances, in your business, in some relationship, in the church, whatever it is, and you go, I thought we made it and we didn't, and now I have to keep going and I don't know if I can keep going. And in those moments, this question arises. And this is what I was facing in 2019. God, where are you? Where are you? But now having moved there, I found that there's another time that this question will arise. And it's not when we're standing at one single mountain of a thing that we have to get over. It's when we're looking out over the vast field of a thousand little foothills that are much easier to get over one by one, but because they just roll on forever, it's just as exhausting. And we call this everyday life. We call this laundry for the third time today. Telling your daughter to not put that in her mouth again. Having to take the kids there again. Having to do this again, having today look like it did yesterday and knowing that it'll probably look the same tomorrow and having that arduous mundane plot over the hills, over every, it's not hard one day really, but it's when you have to do it for three, four, five, six, seven, eight months, years, and you go, is this all this is supposed to be? Is my life nothing but just little foothills? Isn't there supposed to be some, some scenery, some beauty, some waterfalls? Isn't there supposed to be some something else other than just this little arduous trek of everyday life that I have to deal with this thing again and again and again and again and nothing new seems to be happening? God, where are you? I thought it was supposed to be more than this. And if the mountain is pain and suffering and hardship, the the little hills are things like disappointment and boredom and disillusionment because it was supposed to be more than this. Lord, I show up every Sunday. Why are things still the way that they are? Lord, I'm giving you, and you find this lament all over as well in the scriptures. Lord, I'm doing the righteous thing. Why do the wicked still prosper and nothing good seems to happen to me? My life just goes on like normal. So in those two cases, in the mountain and the foothills, this question will arise in our hearts. Lord, where are you? The way that the... This question ended up being phrased in in my head as I felt like the Lord asking me one day, "Max, if you were to try and find me, where would you look?" I'm a big kid, so I immediately thought of like hide and go seek. So if, if we're playing, you know, divine cosmic hide and go seek and I'm trying to find God, where would I try and find him? Cuz he's not he's not anywhere in my periphery. I can't see him anywhere. And if I need to find him because I'm tired and weary and stressed and disappointed and bored and just blah, where would I find him? So with that question in mind, I want to read Luke 24. And I want to offer you a handful of reflections from Luke 24, as we try and kind of answer the question, if we were to try and find God, where would we look? Luke 24, starting in verse 13. And now behold, two of them were traveling the same day. This is Sunday afternoon. This is Easter Sunday afternoon. They were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then... The one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? You have to love Jesus. He's just toying with them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now they're saying this to Jesus, right? The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived early at the tomb, they astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels And who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb. And found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, "O foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things. And to have entered into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded to them all of the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then the day drew near, and as they drew near to the village where they were going, he had indicated to them that he would gone farther, but they constrained him saying, abide with us, for it's towards the evening and the day is far spent. And so he went in and he stayed with them. And now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. What a marvelously strange and bizarre story. Does anyone else have so many questions? So many questions. I want to make a handful of observations from this story and offer them to you in light of the question, uh, where would we find God? First, we have to make an initial observation, and that is this. That these two men, these two disciples are walking on the road. They're sad. They're disappointed. They're despondent at what has happened. Even though they've heard the eyewitness testimony that the tomb is empty, they have not believed it, right? They didn't believe Mary and the other women, and they didn't believe Simon, who came back and told them that. They, they just said, nope, I don't think that's true, and they're going home, right? They're giving up. They're going home. And what I love about Jesus is where does Jesus show up after he's resurrected? To these ones. This is who he comes to. He doesn't go to anyone else. He comes to these ones who are on their way home because they're so disappointed. And they are walking on the road talking about everything that's happened. And all of a sudden, this stranger comes up and says, hey, what's going on? Why are you guys so sad? And it's Jesus. And they walk the whole afternoon with the resurrected Son of God, the God-man, and have no idea that it's him. None. And actually, if you go and read, this is homework, a lady actually came up to me and told me that she had done this this week after first service. She said she had done this this week. If you go back and, go back and read all of the resurrection accounts in all of the Gospels, no one recognizes Jesus. Mary thinks he's the gardener. When he shows up to the, uh, the leaven right after this, they think he's a spirit. In John's gospel, they see as someone that they don't recognize on the shore making lunch and they don't realize that it's Jesus until he tells them to cast the net on the other side and they catch fish. Here, these two, they just think he's a guy. Are you the only stranger here? Who are you? This is a bizarre thing that everyone who encountered Jesus after he was resurrected, no one recognized him. Not a single person. And here's observation number one. Jesus was near to these two disciples even though they did not know it. And the same is true for us. God is at work in us. He is near us. Whether you are climbing up that mountain or walking over foothill number 942... Christ is walking alongside of you even when you don't recognize it. This is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not only that Christ has resurrected and shows up into our life to change us forever. He does that in these stories later on. But part of the good news is that the resurrected Christ even shows up to us even when our hearts are so dull that we don't recognize him at all. He's still near to us. Whether we understand it or not. And actually, what I think, this is just my hunch. Throw it out if you want. Most of our Christian life is actually like this, where we don't understand it. We don't see it. We don't perceive it. We don't feel it. We, we think that we're all alone. Actually, underneath the surface, something much deeper is happening. Christ is there. Christ is near. We think that, Lord, when are you going to show up? And he's actually walking along the road the whole time while we're venting about what it is that has happened to us. Right? We're walking along the road wondering, when is this going to change? Where are you, God? And in some funny, ironic way, he whispers, I'm actually right here. But there's something he will... He, for some reason, will allow us to go through portions of our life and just kind of play along. Tell me about that. Who? Who are you talking about? Jesus is dead. So tell me more. What happened? Because he's, he cares about the depths of our heart, that he is wanting to open all of us up. He wants all of our heart to be opened up to him. And the good news of the gospel is that we have dared never hope or dream of a nearness of God like he is actually near to us. Augustine has this famous line where he says, Christ is more nearer to ourselves than we are to ourselves. I'm not quite sure what to do with that, but other than to say yes. But that's part of the mystery. He's closer to ourselves than we are to our very own selves. Because he is who he is. And this is the gospel. When my grandparents were alive... They were the heroes of our family. They were missionaries themselves. They went to the the inland of Papua New Guinea in 1955 and lived among cannibalistic tribes for 12 years. Just crazy people. Absolutely crazy people. Legends. And then came back to Minnesota, planted a church, and that's, you know, eventually where I came into the story. And um, so we grew up on those missionaries' stories, and we loved them. They were the heroes of our family. Towards the end of my grandma's life, she had Alzheimer's, and my grandpa was in his 80s, and so they needed more help. And um, my family is not like super like, close knit, lovey-dovey. You know, we see each other, hey, how are you? Check in, whatever. But we don't like do a ton of stuff together. It's just not who we are. You know, some maybe some of your family cultures are that way. My wife's family is totally different. They like want to do everything together all of the time, and that stresses people like me and my family out because you know that's just not our, our culture. So our why, you know, my wife and, and my sister-in-law, they were the ones who had to initiate this. They had this brilliant idea. Let's all get together once a week and have a meal together, you know, because us siblings, we would never actually, you know, initiate that on our own. And so for the last two years or so of my grandma's life, and then a little bit after before my grandpa died a few months later, every Saturday night, we would go to my grandparents' house uh, and have dinner every Saturday night. And we'd have pizza or make something and watch a baseball game or Wheel of Fortune. And, you know, the heat was always on even when it was August and we were all sweating, you know, like, because whatever. And uh, my, my, I have a younger brother. And my younger brother and I don't have just, just don't have a ton in common. We didn't have a very great relationship at that point. It wasn't toxic or negative, but just like we were, we were kind of wayward, honestly. And we spent every Saturday night coming and eating these meals. And then my grandparents died. And so we stopped because that's why we were doing it was to check in on them, spend time with them, all that kind of stuff. And so when they passed, we stopped. And shortly after that, I found my heart really missing those meals. And the thing that surprised me is one of the reasons I was really missing those meals is I miss spending time with my younger brother. You see, even like these two, I didn't even recognize what was going on in my own heart because it was just normal life. It was just pizza on the couch watching a twins baseball game. But beneath the surface, beneath my senses, beneath my ability to perceive, something deep was happening in me. I was falling in love with my younger brother again. And for two years, it was just normal Saturday night. And then it was gone, and I, I, I realized something had changed in me. And this is what the the life of faith often is. It looks like normal Saturday night with pizza. And then two years later, you look back and realize something very deep has happened in my heart and I never felt it for a single moment. I didn't have a single moment in those two years where I felt like anything was happening, but God was deep at work in me. Present with us the whole time, doing something to knit our family back together to knit our hearts together in a season. And now we have a wonderful relationship, but all of that happened without me understanding that Christ was near us doing anything at all. There's another way that we could talk about this, and that is um, I could try and tell all of your testimonies at the same time. Okay, I'm gonna try it, we'll try that. Okay, this is how most of us tell our testimony all the time. It goes something like this, okay? Nod your head if this is how you usually tell it. When I was young, I went places I wasn't supposed to go. I did things I wasn't supposed to do. I drank things I wasn't supposed to drink. I ate things I wasn't supposed to eat. And I did all that with people I was not supposed to do it with. Okay, right? So we, we go through that series of events. And then we say, and then, Je- and then Jesus met me and he saved me, and he healed me, and he delivered me from all these things, and we have this joyous moment. But then when we're telling our story, we do something very unique, and we probably don't realize that what we're doing, and this is this moment here, is we, we talk about how Jesus met us, and then we do this. we We tell our story, we look back, and we say, and do you know what I realized after I met Jesus? I realized in all those dumb places, eating dumb things with dumb people, do you know who was with me there? Jesus. He was with me the whole journey. Now, when you were in that house that you weren't supposed to be at, eating things you weren't supposed to be eating with people you weren't supposed to be doing or whatever, your version of the story, did you have any indication that Christ was at the table with you? Most of us were running as far away from Jesus as we could. That's why we were there. You know, I, we were there and not Sunday morning because we wanted to be away And yet, and yet, when we look back and our eyes are opened like these two, we look back and we say, who was with me the whole time? Christ was with me the whole time. And some of us will even then begin to put things in our life and we say, actually, it wasn't just that Christ was with me. Christ was at work, moving, orchestrating, weaving things into my life, and I didn't understand any of it in the moment. And now I realize, oh, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and all of that, Christ was not only present, he was the one doing it. This is the way of Jesus. He's, he's mysterious, he's deeper. To quote Chronicles of Narnia, he's, because he's, I love Chronicles of Narnia, it's the deeper magic, if you, if you guys have read that story. There's something beyond our senses of perceptibility. And the the true work of the Spirit is actually often found there. Now, there are times in our life where we see, where we experience, where our senses perceive it, when people get healed, things like that. But many times, many times, often, it's way below the surface because it's much deeper, it's in the heart. It's in our spirit. It's in our mind. And this is often how Christ is at work in us. And he does this this work in three places. From this story. We were joking between services that there's a couple of more for sure that you could say. But from this story, I want to offer you three. First... to whom does Christ show up? He shows up to his disciples, to those that are his. And that is to say, one of the places, to go back to our original question, if we were to look for God, where would we find him? One of the places that we should always look, because he will always be there, is in the assembly of his body is in the church among his people, among those who are called by his name. This is fundamentally what it means to be the church. We are the people that are gathered up into Christ. We are the temple of the living God. We are the body of Christ. We are the place where heaven and earth now meet in the Son of God. We are the ones who have been filled with the Spirit of God and made one with Him. And the New Testament will use all of this kind of language of Paul talking about how we're, we're stones being fit together as a house for God. We're like joints and tendons being fit together as the body of Jesus. We've been breathed into by the very breath, the life life of God in the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be the church. We are the place where God is. This is why it's so important for you to show up every week. See, the reason that my brother and I our hearts were knit together is cuz we just showed up every week. We just showed up. Nothing miraculous happened. We never had, honestly, really any deep, meaningful conversation. We just were with each other. And the assembly is something like that. We may go weeks and months where we go, I mean, it's just a normal Sunday. You know, there are like those Sundays where it's like, ooh, Jesus. And then there's like the normal Sunday. You guys know what I'm talking about? We're like, yeah, that Sunday was kind of like the previous one and the one before that and these genuine ones of these are usually less common. Most of them are normal Sundays where the normal stuff happens. But what I want to say to you is often we think about it and the way we talk about it is we, we use language that implies Christ is present in this one because I could perceive it. Someone got healed, fell over, got delivered, whatever. And so therefore Christ was present. And then these ones we just kind of don't talk about because they're just the normal ones. But what this story, the good news of this story tells us is that Christ is at present, is present and at work equally in both of these experiences. This one, I just have eyes to see something that's happened. This one, maybe I'm just walking on the road, but Christ is definitely there. He's definitely at work. This morning, you may not have had some crazy encounter in worship. You may think this sermon is like mediocre at best, but regardless, Regardless, Christ is doing something in you and you may not perceive it for months or years until one day your eyes will be opened and you will look back and say, you've been at work this whole time. What did the disciples say? After their eyes were opened, did our hearts not burn within us? Now, if their hearts were burning within them, Why didn't they recognize that in the moment? As Jesus is opening the scriptures, like, whoa, our hearts are on fire. (laughs) Who are you? But that's not how it worked. They had burning hearts and didn't even know that their hearts were burning. Until later, their eyes were opened and they looked back and they realized what had happened. So one place, number one, where can we always find God? You will always find God here. On Sunday morning, in your worship nights, your prayer meetings, whenever you assemble together as the church, Christ is here and He's at work. Number two, notice when it is that their eyes are opened. Their eyes are opened when He takes bread and He breaks it. And that is to say, Christ is always present to us when we come around the communion table, when we sit at His table. And we take his bread, and we take the wine, his body, and his blood. Often, conversations around the Lord's Supper can easily devolve into the theology of what happens, what doesn't happen. How does this work? How does that work? And we can leave that for another day, and those are really nerdy and awesome conversations. But, you know, not for now. What we can all essentially agree on, even across the Christian tradition who hold those different theological views, what all, from the very beginning, the church fathers had this sense, there is something about this table where Christ is present to us. And one of the ways that we can see this even worked out in the New Testament is the same language that will get used for the church as like his body will get used for the bread that is his body. Because they're one and the same. And Paul even said, make sure that you discern the body when you eat of the body. There is this union that happens in our own hearts and with God whenever we sit at that table because we all come, we come from different ages and ethnicities and races and socioeconomic statuses and political leanings and economic, lean, uh, economic statuses and all across the board, education, whatever it is, we all come from all of these diverse places where some of us genuinely disagree in the body of Christ. And we come to one table as one body to eat one bread and drink from one cup because we worship one Lord, we've been, we've been baptized into one baptism, and we have one spirit. And when we come to that table... Christ is near to us. At the end, when they're telling the others they've returned to Jerusalem, this is what they say. They told them how Christ had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. There is something about when we come to the table and we take that bread that Christ is uniquely present to us. I don't have all the philosophy and the theology and the language to understand how all of that works. All I know is that there is something deep a mystery, a a working of the Spirit that when we sit down at at a table together and eat of him. So Christ is present in the church at the table. And then lastly, notice who it is that the disciples think Jesus is on the road. They think he's a stranger. He's someone different. He's someone that doesn't know what they know. And often in the scriptures, strangers and foreigners will get, are part of this group of people. Of the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger and foreigner. You see that all throughout Old and New Testament. Where's the, th- the third place from this story that I think we can always find Jesus? We can always find him in the face of the stranger and the poor and the suffering. Always. When we sit across from someone who is different than us, who is a stranger to us, who has suffered, who has been oppressed, who is poor, we are in a very real sense sitting and looking into the face of our Savior. In Matthew's gospel, he'll talk to these people and he says, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in jail. You came and visited me. I was sick and you came to my bedside. And the people listening, they had the same reaction that these two disciples do. They said, when did we see you? We didn't see you anywhere. These two on the road, same thing. You were there. Their eyes were blind to it the whole time. And what does Christ tell them? Yes, because what you do to these ones, the least of these, who do you do it to? You do it to me. Because I am so united with the poor and the stranger and the suffering and the oppressed because I am the suffering servant. I am the wounded one. I am the one who came to his own and his own rejected him. I am the foreigner and the stranger who came from heaven here to bring you to myself. I am the one that was sent outside of the city because you didn't want me near in your city. He has so joined himself to the poor and the oppressed and the stranger that when we sit with them, we are in a very real sense sitting with Christ. Thank you. Hearing him, being with him, and he is there. And so when we sit in these tents in Kurdistan. We'll go into the camps now, and we will sit and have a meal. And from time to time, someone will start telling us a story of what they've gone through, what they are going through, what life is like. And we've gotten to know people well enough to just know some of those things, obviously, now. But we sit on the ground with them, and we eat a meal and there's something magical that's happening in that moment. Something Trinitarian. Because we are in him and so there's a very real sense in which we are Christ to them in that moment. Because I am part of his body, filled with his spirit. I'm able to give the word of life to them. I'm able to speak the gospel to them. Love and mercy and compassion. But in a very real, Real sense in the same way, they are Christ to me. They are speaking of what Christ is to me, what it means to be the suffering servant, what it means to be the wounded one who heals the wounded by his very wounds. I mean, this is the logic of the gospel. He became the wounded one so that he could heal the wounds of the wounded by his very own wounds, And so, in conclusion, often people will come up to us, and and I, I say this with all tenderness and sensitivity, but people will come up to us and they hear about us moving to Iraq, right? In America, Iraq has a history. Yeah, it's associated with things. And we'll have people come and tell us, Thank you so much for your sacrifice, for giving up everything to move your family to a place like that. And again, I, I hear my heart, okay? With all sensitivity, I, now the way that I think about that is this. If Jesus is truly present in the church, at the table, and then for us in the faces of the poor and the suffering and the stranger, the people who are different than us, then us moving to Iraq is not any sacrifice. It's nothing more than an invitation of Jesus to be near him. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And as a believer, what else do I would I ever want? It's it's not an invitation to lay down your life and give up everything and suffer, it's an invitation to be near him. Yep. Yep. And yes, would air conditioning be nice in you know August in Iraq? Absolutely. Is it suffering in that sense? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? People are resilient. We figure that out. It just is what it is. Christ is there. Christ is there. So where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus in the church, at the table, in the face of the stranger. And the life of this community, what you have to wrestle with is that we now live in a world that is trying to tear all of those things apart. In our cultural moment here, we have all these forces trying to make us strangers to other people. Even in the church, you're this race, this political leaning, you're this whatever, whatever, and so we can't be with each other. We need to be strangers from each other. We can't sit at the same table. We can 't come together, and the, the good news of the gospel is that all three of these things merge into one thing in Jesus Christ, that we come as one body to worship one Lord, to sit at one table, even though we are estranged from each other in all of these ways, where is a unity that is deeper than our strangeness to one another, and we refuse to allow any pressure of the world to make our strangeness to each other greater than the thing that unites us in Jesus Christ. And so we come together to worship and to eat and to be with each other. Amen. So whether you're standing at a mountain today or you're over foothill number 800, Christ is with you because you're here. And the next time you eat, and drink of the body and the blood, Christ will be with you. And as you sit and talk to friends or strangers today, Christ is with you, deeply at work. So Father, we thank you this morning. We ask you to bless us with your spirit and with your presence. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your work. Father, thank you for your nearness. I just love that line at the beginning of the story, When they're walking on the road, it says, and Christ drew near to them. We say, Jesus, draw near to us today. And thank you for having always drawn near to us. You are nearer to us than we are to our own selves. Thank you for that. Amen. Thank you guys for having us today. It was an honor and a pleasure.